Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off, in-depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, we speak to three generations of mentors and mentees in the field of geophysics. I get help from SEG staff members Isaac Farley and Linda Ford as they interview Andrea Dar, Dr. Esther Babcock, and Dr. John Bradford in discussing the process and importance of mentoring in their careers and beyond. To get started, Isaac, Linda, and I reflect on the three interviews, followed by Esther's, Andrea's, and John's interviews, respectively. Thank you to our guests for this podcast, Andrea Dar, Dr. Esther Babcock, and Dr. John Bradford. A special thanks to Andrea and Esther for their patience, and to John for speaking with us while at a conference. Now, for Mentoring Geoscience Leaders. So I'm here with Isaac Farley, our Digital Publications Manager, and Linda Ford, the Student and Early Career Advisor. So Linda, I'll I'll just start with you. What, What were kind of your major takeaways from these interviews? Yeah, I think one of the things that really came through in these interviews for me is just how Finding the right mentor is is a process of kind of trial and error that it it begins with making connections with people, maybe by asking a question or just find a person with similar interests in the process of making those connections that we we find those people whose um, skills or interests or uh, way of being is something that's uh, appealing to us and, and we want to model and learn from. Isaac, I'd throw it to you. What what were some of the major takeaways you had from these interviews? I think what you just said, you know, I, I found myself reflecting a lot about my own kind of trajectory and those people who have made an impact in my life. And I think it is important. I, I remember being a you know, young student and navigating, you know, in, a new landscape and a university that I didn't know very well and people I didn't know very well and being able to sit down with an adult who shared common interests with me and be able to connect that was that was really important as you will hear in these exchanges these three individuals have been lucky as well but sometimes people aren't lucky and and I think that one thing that Esther and Andrea said a lot was you have to find your niche and and sometimes that take that that requires just changing course and being willing to say hey you know I want to I need to find the right person for me now and and John said something about when you find that person, you just you feel a click. And I, I think back to those people who I sat down with and we, we could click about the subject matter we were talking about or politics or whatever it may be. And it was really important to have an adult, at least at that point in my career, who I could bond with around many different things. Do you think that everyone should be a mentor or feel like they need to be a mentor? I don't think so. Um, I think that uh, what I see from these three, and, and I think it, it, it is reflected in, in my experiences of being both a mentor and a mentee, is that on the part of both the mentor and the mentee, it requires an openness, a willingness uh, to engage in that kind of relationship, a readiness for it. Uh, focus on a particular kind of learning that the mentor can help with. And I think that requires some agency on the part of the mentee, uh, willingness to ask questions, to focus on their learning and what they can gain from that kind of relationship. But it also, I think, uh, requires uh, on the part of the mentor a willingness to uh, reflect and listen and 
share their own experiences with someone and not try to force anything on them or uh, uh, cause them to go in a, a specific direction, but to be willing to let the mentee choose their own path. Isaac, is there anything else you would like to to add on reflecting on these interviews? I think, you know, to add to what Linda said, this is a relationship. So if if you're not comfortable now or if you're not comfortable generally about being open to that personal exchange, then that's okay. Then maybe you're not the maybe you're not the right fit for a mentor mentee relationship. But for those who are, go go for it. Gravitate towards it. Be be that person for someone else and uh you know, Esther talked about that a lot too. You know, she's she's putting in full days and then trying to shepherd people through putting in full days too. So that, that, that's all it's, it's, it's work. But I think as she said, it's rewarding and um, it's nice to feel like you can give back to the science and to this community. Dr. Esther Babcock is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and received her doctorate in geophysics at Boise State University. She has participated in field campaigns in Africa, the Canadian Arctic, and most recently Hawaii. She volunteers on the SEG Foundation Scholarship Committee, a time-intensive eight-year volunteer commitment to the geophysics community. Her interview next. So Esther, to to start us off, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about mentors you have had throughout your education and career, and how did you meet them? How have your mentors influenced you in your career? Cool. Yeah, I'd I'd love to. And um, I'm actually happy to have that question because I think that they deserve a lot of credit. And so actually saying their names out loud and having it recorded feels pretty good to me anyway. Maybe they'll hear it at some point. Um, During my undergrad degree, it was my direct advisor and then another um, instructor in the math department who was also on... um, uh, the Air Force skydiving team with me, who won the first was Dr. Herzinger, and then Colonel Bergeron was um, the the person who wasn't my direct advisor. But they were both amazing role models as well as um, very skilled academics, and I really learned a lot directly about my field of study from them. But also, I feel observing their actions and learning how to or deciding really how I wanted to conduct myself as an adult, since I don't think you're really an adult in college. <laughs> so, um, so I'm very thankful for their for their help and, and mentoring, and I'm still in touch with both of them, so that's kind of neat all these years later. Um, and then Dr. Bradford was my primary advisor during my PhD at Boise State, and I really cannot thank him enough. Thank you, Dr. Bradford, if you're listening to this. He is an amazing scientist and role model and professional, and I, again, learned so much from him technically, but also just watching his actions as an example and the leader. And I think that he has also directly contributed to my my job status and jobs that I've had by providing letters of recommendation, and so I'm I'm thankful for that as well. And then also, I was a SEG's Foundation Scholarship recipient myself, and my mentor during that time was David Mikado. Um, I hope I'm saying that correctly. And he was just an amazing person to work with and to 
really be able to bounce questions off of and and ask questions of someone who is completely outside of my um, my academic realm at the time, which I found very helpful and I'm hoping is what some students are getting from me. And he also, uh, I won't use the word coerced, he nicely asked if I would replace him on the SCB, SCG Foundation Scholarship Committee. So that is also how I found myself here, which has given me a chance to interact with an, another whole realm of people for which I'm also thankful. As you said about, but you kind of talked about your your mentors and how they're they're kind of spread uh, throughout different types, different areas. Um, so your work also engages wide groups of stakeholders, from state and local government officials to colleagues in industries, to an in industry and university students. How has mentoring helped build bridges across those sectors, for profit, nonprofit, government, and so on? Yes. Um, I feel as though I started in industry and now I'm in in a government job, government role, which I love my job, but I also feel as though having had those contacts in industry helps me direct and gives me opportunities to make connections between people, between my students and, and other people. Um, and also I, I hope that having had those industry connections, I can be perhaps a positive um, role model or impact on people who may, are, might be looking at the move between industry and government because that is a big decision. I spent a lot of time thinking about that and about where I wanted my career to go. To go. I'm also really thankful to have had and continue to have the chance to build bridges and make connections from science to policy. I think it's really important for me personally that my science has some sort of greater impact and the way I see that being enabled is through policy decisions that impact our natural resources, and I I think that that has been an important connection for me to make, and something I try to impress upon the students who are interested that I'm mentoring. So yeah, so that's been been really good. And then even lately, just having kind of having connections to the academic world and to to industry, I it's neat to find different ways to help people. For example, I had um, a, an academic colleague who was in remote Alaska who was having problems with her field equipment and she called me from the middle of nowhere on a very sketchy phone connection and I was able to talk to uh, an industry connection I have here in town and get equipment shipped overnight to her that she could use the next day in this time of time sensitive situation. So it's been really neat for me as I've grown as a professional to see my network growing and to see how I can um, leverage those network connections into helping people. I really like solving problems and, and helping people, so it's been really, really neat for me. That's great. Uh, the kinds of connections that you're able to make uh, uh, in the, the various sectors of the geophysics world, um, I don't think all mentors are really comfortable with having mentees in, in different locations. Why is it important for you to do that? do you think, to engage mentees and peers from around the world? I think that's a really great question. And for, for me, it boils down to we live in a global economy. The, the planet is figuratively smaller than it's ever been. We jump from place to place um, almost on a whim on giant aircraft and land in a complete different part of the globe. And so everyone is connected. I continually, as I travel, find myself running into people that either they know me or I know them, and we are making these connections con 
continually that, that span the globe. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that and to, to try to build upon that. I understand why people have difficulties with having mentors in different locations. It is it, it does present some constraints as far as just being in different time zones and finding if someone wants to actually talk to you, uh, finding time to do so. But as far as email communication, it really doesn't bother me at all. And in fact, it's kind of nice to know that there is kind of a time gap. Often we write emails in this world and wonder if we should expect or we do expect an, an instant or quick response. But when people are asleep when you send the email, you know you don't have to worry about it at least until the next day. So I really, uh, yeah, I don't mind it so much. When you're trying to get a group of people together and there's people all over the globe, that becomes problematic. For example, Linda and I have tried to set up some, and we have set up some online mentoring sessions with the students that I'm mentoring and various female professionals for them to talk to. And we've had some success with that, but also some difficulty as far as coordinating schedules and times when people are on completely different time zones and um, also just the um, technology behind getting a large people group of people together on the internet can sometimes be a little bit painful. But yeah, I, I think one other thing I, I would say that impacts that is there is there are constraints of of language and culture that that can that I have found can be difficult. Even as something as simple as we take for granted in all our our culture, such as immediately knowing someone's gender by their name but when someone has a name that is foreign to you, you you can't identify their gender right away, and so that can feel feel difficult. And also, we are all trying to communicate usually in English, and some people's English skills are are different than other people's, and so that can sometimes also create a, a barrier to communication. But in general, I found it possible to work through these things. So you have so. You sit down, you you have your list of mentees, and, and you see they're kind of pins in a map all over the world. Now you're ready to begin the, the mentoring relationship. It may not happen quite like I've just described, but how, how do you and these students, mentees that you're, you're working with, how do you determine what you hope to accomplish in the relationship? Right now, I primarily let the mentees drive the relationship. I think this is a constraint of having taken on a larger group of students who are primarily chosen through my interactions with the scholarship committee itself. And so for me, I often when I start that relationship, when I throw my pins in the map figuratively, I don't know much about these people and I don't know what their goals are and what they are hoping to find in this relationship. And I prefer in general to let them drive the conversation. So normally I introduce myself and I say, hey, I'm here to help. I, I would like to start off this relationship. I tell them about myself. I ask for at least a, you know, an email telling me about them. And then I pretty much say, hey, you, know, you can expect, uh, what I generally say is you can expect at least an email a month from me to check up on you. If you email me more, I will email you back with some constraints and I'm open to talking on the phone. But I don't ever, or I have not yet presented any direct career or academic related questions to them. I just, my, my only direct question usually is, tell me about yourself, which is fairly open-ended, so it gives, gives you some, some place to go from there. And people come back with 
a range of questions. So some of these students are interested in career advice. They're at that point where they're trying to choose internships or they're trying to figure out what their job strategy is or whether they should stay in academia. And other people are looking for um, almost kind of a course advice as far as their academic world. And I try, you know, there's there's kind of some limits, I feel. I try to stay out of the the technical conversation, often because these students are working in career fields that are not my technical expertise, and academic questions are more are more the responsibility of their advisor or whoever is their their technical their source of technical expertise. But I really do enjoy the questions that address, hey, I'm thinking about this decision. Should I do an, an internship or should I pursue this field work? Um, I've had students ask me, hey, I'm going out to field work for the first time. Can you give me some ideas about what I should think about and what I should expect? So there are a wide range of questions that I enjoy helping people with that, that definitely fall um, you know, outside the technical, the technical realm. I'm really curious then with the um, student kind of setting the tone for the relationship, at least in terms of the goals and, and how it, it progresses. I'm, I'm wondering to what extent do you bring your own experiences, both the high points and the challenges, into your mentoring relationships? Yeah, I find that actually pretty easy to do, and I think that that's almost what the role of the mentor centers in on and that's why it's so important to to choose a mentor and and you know I think it's right for people to move on to a different mentor if they're not finding the answers they need because my background and my goals and my path to this point all shape what what advice I give other people so for example if someone's asking hey should I go pursue a job or should I go pursue graduate school? Well, I remember having that, having had that same discussion with myself and I, I know what I chose, which was obviously graduate school, but I also know that I have strong feelings now that that's not necessarily the best track. I, I think that there's a lot of merit towards going and getting actual um, job experience that is equal to the merit of getting a higher education. And so I, I share those thoughts with students when they when they ask me, I will backtrack one second and say that I do, I have had the chance to do technical mentoring in my job with people who are actually in my, in my office, for example, or when I was in industry who were my subordinates. So in that case, it's kind of a borderline. At times I felt like I'm a supervisor and at times I felt like I'm a mentor. And so I think there may be overlap there or maybe you operate in different capacities with different people who are all kind of your subordinates, but I do enjoy technical mentoring as well, but it is, it's much different. It strains the brain a little more. As you've moved from, you know, we, when we started talking, you, you were talking about the mentors that you've had in your life. Um, which strategies that work for you as a mentee have you borrowed and taken forward and perhaps tweaked now as a mentor? That's a good question. I think the, the biggest thing for me is is having a hands-off approach. So again, this comes back to it's. it really is a lot of not only what experience people have and whether that's useful to the mentee, but also what personality styles people have. And and my personality is, is hands-off, and I have worked, all of my mentors have been hands-off and not, not looking for a consistent feedback on a daily or weekly basis, but feedback and consulting when necessary. 
and that's kind of what I mean by by hands off approach. Hey, I'm here for you, but I'm also I'm not going to bother you for lack of a better term. And I think that works really well with some people, and I don't think it works well at all for others. But since that is my approach, students that for whom that does not work well will quickly seek another avenue of of mentoring, which is which is fine. I also think another strategy is that I've maintained is, is using my contacts to try to help these people. And I think that's a large part of what some of my mentors did for me. And I am so, so appreciative of that. And so where possible, if I, if a, if a situation or question that a mentee brings up strikes my mind and I think of someone that I know who, you know, can maybe help them as they're putting together a resume, for example, I've had uh, HR experts help me with that I and I know directions in which to point them so I, I feel I have some good resources in, in my hip pocket. This is a question that might be a, a, I think sometimes a little bit more difficult to answer. I, I'm wondering what helped you find your own niche in uh, geophysics and how do you help your students find theirs? Yeah that huh that actually is a quite a difficult question. I almost feel as though I stumbled upon my niche, but really that's because I stumbled upon my advisor, for which I'm very thankful. And and he was providing guidance and free reign at the same time to explore geophysics as I was starting that technical path because my master's and undergraduate studies were not in geophysics. And so all along the path from technical guidance as my advisor to career advice as, as I was getting ready to graduate, to providing references, as I always already mentioned. He has really, Dr. Bradford has really contributed immensely to my success, if you would like to label it such. Um, and I think for, for my students, finding their niche, I think, honestly has not really so much come up. I feel as though that's something they're exploring in their technical classes. But in some ways, it does come up in that they're, they're seeking guidance on internships to go back to that example and it's easy to see what their what their questions are and how that might relate to where areas where they would be happy which i guess is what a niche is all about and areas that they might not find so stimulating so i don't think i've ever directly addressed that question but i think it's a byproduct of other questions that are addressed to all those professionals out there who might be considering a role as a mentor can you tell them what you have gotten out of this experience Yes, I can. And I will tell you that is not external rewards, <laughs> but it is intrinsic satisfaction. I get a great deal of intrinsic satisfaction out of helping other people and seeing them grow. It's really, really rewarding to me. And I've received so much help from other people, from my advisors and mentors, that in some ways I feel I owe it to the community and owe it to those people to pay it back. And I I feel like that, again, contributes to my motivation and feeling of satisfaction as I'm helping these people that, hey, now I'm in a position to help and, and I'm joyful to do so. Andrea Dar is a geophysics major at Texas A&M University, where she is a member of the Texas A&M student chapter of SEG. She is currently doing research with Dr. Mark Everett on using controlled source electromagnetics, CSEM, to develop code to test and evaluate geological models of the variety of possible subsurface conditions beneath Upheaval Dome. Her interview next. 
tell us about your relationship with Esther Babcock. How did you meet, and what does the relationship mean to you? I first heard of Dr. Babcock, um, Esther, when she emailed me um, in August, two years ago, 2014, and she um, gave a little bio about herself and um, told us what she did, and um, my first impressions were, oh my gosh, <laughs> oh. I agreed. Yeah, that's what I felt yeah. like when I when we talked to her too. Exactly. Yeah. It's just really, really um, nice having someone that I can ask advice from and talk to about you know career objectives, what I want to do, what her take is on um, what would be the best course of action for going through. Um, and it's just nice to have someone who's been there before. Agreed. So when when you're having these conversations with with Esther and and you're kind of having exchanges, do you, does does the does the guidance that the two of you are seeking is it more career or is it more technical folk to, technically focused? So she's actually given me both career and technical, and she's given me a lot of it. It's been very very helpful. Um, some instances of this is career wise. Um, I actually I was invited to do um, some work in Mexico. Um, at one point, but the issue is, is if I did um, work in Mexico, then I wouldn't have been able to do an internship. I didn't know what to do at that point, so I asked Esther, and she suggested that since I do a lot of research, as is right now, it would be more in line for me to do an internship, and that would be better for me later, because I would get more real-world experience, and so that was career, Um, and in technical, um, she's actually helped me uh, when I First went out, the first time I ever went out um, to do research, I mentioned that I was going to be doing GPR, which is one of her specialties. So she sent me an intro on the theory to GPR, which was awesome and amazing. Um, <laughs> so, and she's just given me so much help. So it's just, it's just been amazing. How, how has your thinking about or love of geophysics evolved as you, as you've been kind of connected to Esther. It sounds like you you and her kind of your interests within the science align. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, um, I, I'm very lucky to um, end up liking the same, you know, general area that she um, specializes in. So um, I'm very lucky in that respect. I, um, I didn't actually know that um, near surface is what I wanted to do going into my major, obviously, because, I mean, nobody ever really knows what they want to do until they go around a little bit. But after sitting outside in your surface class, Dr. Everett's actually my research professor. I found out that I was really interested in your surface. And she's, it's, it's been interesting because she's at a unique position to be able to help me because it's the same thing as what I want to do. This might be a good uh, point to also state that you're an SCG scholarship recipient, um, three years running now. Uh, congratulations on that, Andrea. Uh, that's quite an achievement. Um, so since your freshman year, uh, you've been an SCG scholarship recipient. And that is uh, the primary way in which um, you and Esther became connected and also kind of creates a, a, a bit of a unique um, relationship for you. You're in school in Texas and Esther's uh, working in Alaska, living there as well. So how has your relationship been shaped by your locations? 
So obviously, we've never met face-to-face. We've only Skyped, which has been um, really, really interesting, actually. Um, So Esther's actually found a way of getting past that by using these women in geophysics Skype conversations, um, where she um, and several other um, women in geophysics have these conversations where they tell the tell us about themselves and and tell tell us, you know, what their advice is, how they got to be where they are, and generally invite us to ask questions of themselves. Through that, I've gotten to know Esther a little bit more. And we also um, communicate monthly or sometimes a little bit more frequently than that in email. How do you hope to see your relationship with Esther evolve in in the future, you know, assuming uh, things continue, you know, with her as your scholarship mentor. Well, someday I hope to meet her face to face. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. That'd be nice. yeah. yeah, and I um, hope that I can continue to ask her her advice on things, especially as I'm going into you know graduate school and just in general like career, and especially when I get more. Um, knowledge in my field, you know, more technical advice. So what's next for you? Well, I want to go to grad school and in undergraduate, I'm going to be doing a um, program, hopefully, I have to apply for it, but I'm going to be doing a program, um, uh, Research Scholars, which I'm going to be writing a thesis so about my research. So I'm excited for that. Um, I hope to continue working with Dr. Everett and working towards graduate school and eventually doing research. I was just going to ask you, you know, we talk to professionals who've been in the field for 30, 40 years, and they tell us these stories about how they decided on geophysics. And so uh, I guess, can you talk a little bit about, talk a little bit about that for yourself? It's, It's actually a really funny story. How I ended up getting interested in near surface was actually freshman year. I um, had a class that was right after um, Geophysics 413, a class that I'm taking this fall, which I'm really excited about. And Geophysics 413 is near-surface geophysics. And Dr. Everett was actually teaching, um, Dr. Mark Everett, he was actually teaching this class before my class. And since I was very scared my freshman year, I came an hour early. (laughs) (laughs) because I was terrified that I was going to miss this class. So I actually sat there, and I was like, wow, this is really, really interesting. And so I kept coming an hour early every single time to this class, um, and I barely understood what was going on, um, but it was really interesting. And um, so I was talking to um, the um, professor that I had of that class, Dr. Newman, and she was like, well, then why don't you try to get involved in research? And... So I asked Dr. Everett if I could join his research team, and he let me join. I was very shocked. So, and I've been in his research group ever since first semester of freshman year. Ever since then, I've just been getting more and more excited about, you know, near surface and uh, electromagnetics, and just the more exposure I have to it, the more I'm learning from it. And I can imagine a professor who has a, a student just show up not actually taking the class to listen in would be thrilled to add that person to the research team. Dr. Everett's been great. One of the best things he ever told me was, if you don't love doing it, then don't do it. Because, you know, 
as an undergraduate, you know, if I'm not enjoying it, then why should I do it? And that's really helped me because, you know, I know if I'm passionate about it, then I'm going to go beyond what would normally be expected. So, Do you have anything anything more that you want to say about how maybe Esther has played a role in shaping your objectives, either personally or professionally? Yes. So I see um, Esther as, like, basically a role model because, I mean, she's just, you know, everything I could ever hope to be. <laughs> you know, her being in near surface and me getting interested in near surface, like, her um, pathway to that and her advice for that is just invaluable. Dr. John Bradford is past president of the SEG and serves as professor in the Department of Geosciences at Boise State University. His interview next. Maybe you could get us started off by reflecting a little bit on how mentors have shaped your career. Uh, well, I could think of, of several ways. I, I um, had thought about this a bit, and there have been really three different individuals that I could point to as, as uh, mentors at different stages in my career that affected me in a, in a significant way. The first was my uh, graduate advisor, one of my graduate advisors, Monik Talwani, and I worked with him both in the academic setting as my graduate advisor and also as a research scientist in a corporate-funded research lab that he was the director of while I was a graduate student. So I had an opportunity to work with him in a couple of different sort of uh, settings at the same time. The second would have been uh, Jack Pelton, who was the director of the geophysical research group that I joined when I became a research faculty member after I completed my PhD. And then the third would have been uh, Peter Pangman, who was uh, in a much different role. Um, but uh, in my first turn on the SEG board, Peter was the associate uh, executive director for SEG. And I think I gleaned a lot of uh, knowledge and, and wisdom from, from him in that role as well. So three sort of very different stages in my career and three uh, very different roles. There was one thing that uh, all of these individuals shared, or several things that all of these individuals shared, which maybe is what uh, what attracted me to, to uh, seek them out and seek their advice out. All of them had the, had the uh, personality trait of, of not overreacting when a situation became difficult or stressful. Taking things calmly when you got into a, a heated discussion, they could just be level-headed and, and try to look at the situation objectively and take a rational approach to uh, addressing whatever the problem, whatever the problem or issue was. You know, I've tried to emulate that sort of management style in my own in my own practice, and, and certainly haven't been able to do that perfectly all the time. But but I have uh, done my best to try and uh, to try and recreate that. Um, another trait that all of these individuals shared was a real sense that they were more interested in the more interested in the success of the uh, of the group and the, the group of uh, students that they had or the group of people that they were mentoring more interested in the success of that group than in their individual success and they were all very accomplished successful individuals uh, but I think a, a large part of that were these two specific traits which you know, people recognized people recognized as a as an important um, set of values that they had and, and uh, made them well suited for management positions, so they uh, were able to advance. Thank you, John. I appreciate the reflections that you've had and shared with us there uh, from the mentors who have shaped your life. 
in each of each of the three relationships that we focused on within the show today, I would say that the three of you were all good fits. What advice would you give students or early career professionals who are searching for a compatible mentor? It's kind of a fuzzy thing, right? There's no, I think there's no black and white uh, set of instructions you could give someone for for how to choose a particular mental mentor. But there are certainly some some things which can help. So if you have, for example. Uh, some commonalities in your background, right? So, for example, uh, Esther and I were both uh, in the military, so we had that military background we could share. You know, I'm somebody who grew up in the mountains, so some of the some of the students that I've clicked well with grew up in a similar kind of environment. Those kinds of those kinds of things helps, but that but that's certainly not the only uh, thing that that can lead to a successful relationship. And I've had uh, other, you know, many other students who I, I didn't have any clear background that I shared with, but we were able to, um, we were able to communicate on a, on a rather deep level, right? So you have maybe superficial communication, but you don't really click with someone. And I, I don't know how to define that exactly, exactly, but you sort of know it when you see it, right? And uh, I think for students, of course, it's if you're looking for a mentor or advisor or whatever kind of um, environment you in, you're in, you know, spend some spend some time with this person. You know, when you click with them, you might seek out people that have common background to begin with, but don't limit your don't limit your uh, search to that. Uh, and then, of course, sharing common common professional interests is is key as well. We heard from Esther Babcock earlier in the show, uh, John. She called you an amazing scientist and role model. Aside from glowing accolades like Esther's, how would you say you've been de- benefited from the mentoring process? So it sort of goes both ways. So, you know, I've benefited a lot as a mentor from, the, from my mentees, I would say. I, I don't go through a single experience where I'm the mentor and I don't learn something from that uh, mentee. So there's, there's an exchange of experience and a, an exchange of um, understanding that that goes both ways throughout that relationship for example you know we we talked a little bit about when you might try to find or what's what the traits you would seek to try and find a mentor if you're if you're looking for one uh, or what makes that a good relationship and uh you know sometimes it's not the best relationship and and uh, in academia you know, many times we are assigned to a, a mentor-mentee relationship, and you don't really get to to choose who that who that person is. And sometimes it doesn't click very well. But through that through that experience, I have always improved my ability to to try and uh, connect with people in uh, in different ways, right? And try to develop a way of communicating with people, even if we don't have that uh, ability to click, you know, right off the bat. On the other side, as a uh, as a mentee, I've learned when you observe something about some uh, a time when your mentor is doing something that you you want to emulate. There's just sort of a, a sense that that's really what I need to be doing. This is a way to interact with somebody, and I really want to try to try to do that. It's not a very clear way to explain it, but I'm. It's sort of finding a path or seeing a path to to uh, better yourself, right? improve the way that you interact with people to find a better way to uh, express yourself. And when that clicks for you, there's just, uh, I think there's nothing really like it and, and gives you something new, a new goal to strive for, a new way to try and improve yourself. So during our exchanges with Esther and Andrea, 
They both spoke about how a professional mentor provides both technical and professional guidance. John, I'm curious how mentoring on a university campus may be different or similar to mentoring within a corporate, nonprofit, or government environment. A few years ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, one of my colleagues uh, made the observation that the reward system in academia is um, almost entirely based on individual uh, accomplishment. Or is it the reward system in uh, the corporate world, I think, is a, a bit different. Certainly there's an element of individual accomplishment, but there's much more uh, value placed on, uh, on group accomplishment. And that creates a, a different culture that you can definitely sense if you, if you have a foot in both of those worlds. Uh, and I think it also changes to some extent the mentor-mentee relationship. Another piece that's different that I uh, had described earlier is that in academia, you don't necessarily uh, get to choose who your, who your uh, mentor is or mentee. You're maybe a little bit more restricted. And, and I also think another difference is in the academic setting. You know, the, the level of the experience level is, is uh, even broader probably than it is uh, most of the time in a corporate kind of uh, relationship. Now, beyond that, I think that they're, are, they are very similar, uh, right? So uh, in the corporate world, maybe the reward system uh, or the relationship for, between a mentor and a mentee is, is maybe more uh, monetary or maybe getting a promotion. Uh, oftentimes, it might just be getting more responsibility. Uh, the academic setting, it's not typically monetary, but uh, getting more responsibility, getting a degree, you know, those, those are all of the things that um, you're trying to help uh, guide someone towards, and even though those are very different uh, sorts of things, I think the uh, practices, the, the way you go about trying to accomplish those things effectively are, uh, are very similar. In academia, I think, I think because of the, the way it's structured and because, because you don't uh, necessarily get to choose your, your mentor and every person who is on an academic faculty is really required as part of their job to be a mentor, um, but not everyone has that uh, the right skill set to, to do that uh, effectively. Um, and I think that people can sometimes get into difficult situations because of that. And, and again, I, I understand that that situation can also happen at times within the, in the corporate and uh, corporate world, but I think it gets maybe a little less uh, a little less prevalent there. In general, though, it's just like uh, it's just like uh, good writing or, or any sort of practice where you're trying to relate uh, to other people. The skills, the the things that you practice, the way you interact, the sort of empathy that you can show, and and the way that you uh, bring your experience to to uh, helping uh, a junior person, I think is is the same. Many of SCG's student members, I think their first uh, mentoring relationship is maybe with a professor or advisor on the university campus. And I think especially in light of the uh, differences that you name in the kind of mentoring that happens or the differences in mentoring uh, in the corporate environment versus the academic environment, I'm wondering if you could reflect a little on how a professional society like SEG can complement and build upon uh, these relationships for students and to benefit the larger uh, scientific community. Well, there are uh, a couple of ways, and I think one way that a professional society helps the mentoring relationship is 
a young person, whether it's a young professional or a student, they have opportunities to interact with a much larger group. So that would include, you know, having the opportunity to take on leadership roles and perhaps acting as mentors to uh, to more junior people or much earlier in their careers than they than they might either in the university setting or in the corporate environment. And uh, on the other side, you know, just seeking out interactions with uh, very high level uh, professionals in your in your um, chosen field who you probably wouldn't have an opportunity to interact with uh, in another in another setting. So it provides those sorts of opportunities. And the other thing that it can help with is um, providing another avenue of mentorship, particularly, you know, for students or young professionals that are that are in a situation like I described before, where maybe they're sort of forced into a mentor-mentee relationship. At seg.org slash podcast, you will find all Seismic Sound Off episodes. Please subscribe to Seismic Sound Off on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy the show, review us on iTunes. Your reviews will help others find the podcast. 2017 will find Seismic Sound Off exploring upcoming special sections in interpretation and the leading edge, including full waveform inversion and remote sensing. We also will highlight Geoscientists Without Borders and bring you the newest SEG book authors. Season 1 of Seismic Sound Off is sponsored by the SEG Wiki, home to hundreds of biographies of key geoscientists, geophysical tutorials, and core content from the science of applied geophysics. Visit wiki.seg.org to learn how you can grow the world's first online geophysics encyclopedia. Original music by Zach Bridges. Special thanks to Isaac Farley and Linda Ford for working so hard on this episode. And thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.